Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jennifer tells you to do. It's just that I like the same things that she likes. Hey, Jennifer. You look really pretty. Why don't you just come by my place? Well, this is random. This isn't really your house, is it? We can play mommy and daddy. No way. Welcome to Rewatchability. It's the podcast where we rewatch old movies and see how they hold up in the modern eye. I'm Robert Larone. With me, as always, is Blaine Waters and J.M. McNabb. And today we have two very special guests. I'll let them introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Alex Nursel. I'm from part of the podcast Parkdale Haunt. Hey, I'm Emily Kellogg, and I am also from the podcast Parkdale Haunt. Thanks for joining us here. Why, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your podcast, since that's the reason you're on here, to share with all of our listeners what you're doing. Uh, Emily, you want to go for that? Because I always give the worst answers. <laughs> now I want to hear your answer, though, Alex. <laughs> Let Emily go first, and then I will give like my, my, terrible, my terrible answer. <laughs> I, think, okay. I feel like you're jinxing me, Alex. But um, our podcast, Parkdale Haunt, it's a serialized fiction horror podcast so what that means is we're telling one long scary story over 10 episodes um nice and the story's about two best friends uh me and alex but you know our fictional characters so claire and judith uh (laughs) in the story claire inherits a house in the toronto neighborhood of parkdale from a family that she never knew uh they go there to check things out uh it's a little weird Um, They think they're just going to be doing a fun renovation, but they uncover Latin scribblings on the walls, and there are weird sounds coming from the frigid basement, and as they start to investigate the mystery of the house, Claire seems to be losing her mind more and more and more, until ultimately she goes missing, and Judith is doing anything she can to find her best friend. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. That sounds thrilling. Yeah. Also, I know that Parkdale is a scary place, you know, <laughs> for a lot of us who have uh, spent time there. I love Parkdale. <laughs> I lived in Parkdale for five years, I think, and I wanted to set it there because I love all those old houses that all look haunted. It's beautiful. That are all like yeah. $5 million now. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
you can get a haunted one for about four million. Oh well, nice. That's good. Yeah, I felt it's like worth the, it. The, the most fictional part of your story was like getting a house at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, honestly, like that yeah. that part is just wish fulfillment. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, she's fully getting it through chance. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. pop up and I'm like, it's a it's a podcast about several people making a series of bad decisions. <laughs> Enjoy. That's been our podcast for. Nine years yeah. now. So. It's a formula that works. <laughs> and we should mention that we are on the Entertainment One Podcast Network. And we should also thank our Patreons. Those are the folks who give us a little bit of money every month. And that helps us keep the podcast running. And in return, you get the podcast early and ad-free. And sometimes you get that sweet, sweet bonus content uh, that nobody else gets. The, the, the exclusive stuff. Like, for example, like... Recently, Weekend at Bernie's came up in the news because there was speculation that, you know, somebody might be weekending at Bernie's the president. Well, we did an episode on Weekend at Bernie's, but only for Patreon. So if you want to hear us talk about Weekend at Bernie's, you have to become a Patreon at patreon.com slash rewatchability. It's, it's the only way to know what's happening with Trump is to listen, That's right. to, listen to a <laughs> podcast on Weekend at Bernie's. It's great. So I think this is a, a rare movie. I don't think most of us have seen this before. Emily, you're the one who sort of brought this movie to us. What is the movie and why did you bring it to us? So the movie is Jennifer's Body and it came out in 2009. It is starring Megan Fox and Amanda Siegfried. And it is written by the writer of Juno, uh, Diablo Cotto, mm-hmm. Cody. And its reception in 2009 was pretty lukewarm. It came out at the same time, same year at least, as the Transformer movies. So we were really going through a right. uh, we hate Megan Fox kind of phase. Right. Yeah. And there was a lot of sort of controversy about. Well, I suppose not at the time, but now that we're kind of looking at the movie again, there's been a lot of talk about just the way that the film was marketed, because it's a movie that is kind of for teenage girls. Like, it's about girls, for girls, but it was marketed as sort of like a male fantasy fulfillment thing. So it's a movie that people have kind of come back to after the whole Me Too movement and are kind of reassessing as kind of a feminist cult movie right yeah there's definitely been a lot of that in the in the zeitgeist of talking about this movie and re-examining it well why don't you tell us the first time that you saw jennifer's body so actually i only saw it a few years ago um i i remember very specifically not wanting to see it in 2009 um, (laughs) right because of the marketing Mm. and so had you seen juno i had yeah so you did you like juno yeah yeah i loved juno Okay. But it was just the marketing that threw you off of this. You're like, I liked that movie, but this movie seems like Diablo Cody's taking a turn or something. I didn't even realize it was the same writer. I just saw a horror movie with sexy lady, sexy cheerleader. (laughs) Oh, I've seen a million of those. Like, I don't need to see another slasher along those lines. Yeah. So I was doing a project a couple years ago where I decided that I wanted to watch 99 horror movies in a year. Nice. I've watched a lot of horror movies in the past, but there were just kind of some gaps in my knowledge. So I was like, okay, this is a way to challenge myself to actually see like every horror movie. And I've discovered some gems along the way. But this was one that really stuck out to me. And uh, it's 
was it was just before sort of all of this media has come out about the reevaluation of it. So we know that now people are kind of looking at it as a almost response to Me Too because Megan Fox's character, Jessica, is sacrificed by a kind of mediocre indie band mm-hmm. so that they can gain Very success. Very mediocre. <laughs> yeah. The eyeliner says that all. <laughs> For sure. So people are looking at it as like sort of a revenge film against men sacrificing women to further their careers. So, so I think it's mm. kind of interesting to look at now. So did, is that something that you got an impression of when you first viewed the movie before all of these um, articles came out? I think the thing that I got when I first watched it is I was like, okay, sure, I guess you could call this feminist in that Jessica is murdering men. Like, <laughs> you know. That, that's, I believe, first wave sure. feminism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, there aren't all that many horror movies that are female dominated in that way. Like I'm trying to think of others that are about female friendships. And so thinking about like the craft or Heather's. Um, then the other one I thought of was martyrs, which is like a French extremist film uh, and very mm. different from this mm-hmm. uh, and about torture. Yeah. But anyway, that's totally different than female friendship. Oh yeah. No, but it's also about female friendship. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, also, you also one of the other ones that you mentioned was um, Ginger Snaps, which is a Canadian yes. film. But that's also about female friendship and also has a lot of similarities, I think, uh, apparently, to Juno. Or not Juno, to uh, Jennifer's Body. <laughs> Michael Sarah's in that yeah, one as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess when Alex and I rewatched the movie this weekend, the thing that I kind of got is that Instead of being like sort of feminist because Jessica's killing men, I found it to be more interesting because it's an exploration of like the friendship between Needy and Jessica. And I actually think that that is the most feminist part of the movie. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. I felt like that was the backbone of the mo- of the whole movie was their friendship. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Alex? So you didn't see this when it first came out, but what were your impressions of it? Were you like aware of Diablo Cody's work? Did you sort of have any interest in her work as a screenwriter or anything like that? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see the movie when it first came out. I think just because I I wasn't really into horror movies at the time, and also again the marketing was very, as Emily had mentioned, like very focused on like, hey guys, do you want to see? Megan Fox make out with a woman and and like I'm into it but I don't want to be pandered to and uh, so I didn't see it so I saw it for the first time and it's really funny because I I really enjoyed it uh, I did not find it scary at all but I really enjoyed it I think because it felt incredibly like weirdly realistic high school in a way that like I feel like a lot of movies fail to kind of do not in the way that mm-hmm. it wasn't like people talk like like no one talks like that and, and no one no one acts like that and no one <laughs> looks this good. Like Amanda Seyfried looks amazing and they're just like, put some glasses on her right. and she's a big nerd. But yeah. um Yeah. Yeah. Hair and a yeah, certain <laughs> level of like of yeah. like camaraderie and toxicity and stuff that I was like, this feels this feels super real in for high school. But it's it's funny because afterwards I went and I looked up some uh reviews from the time from like 2009 from when it came out and wow these reviews are really awful to read now one of them just talked about right. one of them just talked about and this stuck in my head about how uh it was the movie was bad because Megan Fox 
you, they were like, you can see all the little hairs in her back. So obviously, like, the cinematographer hates her because it's gross. And I was like, what? Like, just like the fine sort of like natural downy hair that like anyone would have on their skin. And I was like, and I was, they were just like, and I'm just, I just keep thinking about this person writing this review being like, yeah, what a nasty, gross thing to see. I was like, what? Uh, so it's a. Uh, yeah. What a nasty, gross like, review. God. Was the review oh. written by Michael Bay? <laughs> I'm in a bad mo- I'm in a bad movie club, and we have we have decided we're going to citizens arrest Michael Bay because <laughs> of the- you're doing a patriotic duty. <laughs> I know we ha- we watched Armageddon. That was truly a mistake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was it's it's a great movie. It's a, mm-hmm. Jennifer's Body is a really it's a really interesting movie, and I think uh, I like that it's having a little bit of a renaissance now. Cool. I. L- I love that that reviewer, like, this is a movie where she actually, like, pukes up, like, what looks like oil all over the mm-hmm. place. And, like, the disgusting Hi. part is, like, her her hair. Like, that's the disgusting yeah. part of the film. Okay. We shouldn't be reminded that women have, you know, flaws or, you know, hair, right? Any, any body hair <laughs> not allowed. It's not, it doesn't make us comfortable. And I don't feel titillated. So, let's, okay, guys, what about, what about us? I mean, Blaine... This movie was marketed towards men. Did you? You didn't see this. Why not? You love screenwriters. We've talked about some of Diablo Cody's other movies, and I know that you like them. So, what's the deal, man? I did like Diablo Cody. I like looked her up after Juno. I was really into Juno. I watched Juno a lot. Loved her dialogue. Obviously, that was a big a big point of hers. And then this one came out, and I was like, oh, they. Like from the marketing, it looks like they took an idea from Diablo Cody, put seven other writers on it, and made it mm-hmm. horrible. Because what you saw in the in the marketing was just like two girls making out, or like I don't know, her back hair. <laughs> I don't know. And you just saw like like bodies, and so it felt like I was like, well, this is kind of I don't know. And Hollywood at the time was so big into her being a like an ex stripper too which right. i i was like she's a great writer and everyone's being like but she used to be a stri-. so that stuff kind of set me off course and it looked like any other movie and i feel like maybe i was i was thinking i was mm. too old for it like i was like oh i want to watch film you know not just this schlock right. over here uh so i jokes on you you watched it when you were <laughs> 10 years older <laughs> Yeah, well, now I actually I feel like I film is a lot of different things, oh. uh, and it's not just the one thing okay. that I thought it was back then. So I, I've been humbled. I've been wanting to watch this movie for a while, and it was when my wife's on her list to watch. I think she found it on a list of of movies that weren't scary but still <laughs> horror movies. Uh, so it's I mean yeah. those are needed too, and I I feel like this movie kind of really hits a spot in cinema where there's not there's not a lot of it there. So I'm excited to talk about it. What about you, JM? I saw it because I like the marketing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I saw it in the Maxim magazine that I <laughs> No, I, I did see it like uh before it was probably maybe a few years after it came out because I had the same kind of knee jerk reaction to the you know the way it was sold. It's, it didn't seem sort of up my alley, but I think it was the Diablo Cody of it all. Once I, I didn't love Juno, but maybe it was when Young Adult came out because I really liked that movie. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. yeah me too. I think I went back and rented uh, rented it then, and I quite liked it. Like even 
you know, before we get into kind of the deeper meanings of it and and sort of the like you said the sort of more feminist aspects or or the LGBTQ readings of it, I I think it's just like a really effective little horror story. Like I I don't mm-hmm. even really understand why it was so attacked by critics at the time. Like it's just it's a funny. Uh, you know, it just works well. And I watched it, I actually rewatched it earlier this year for like a piece I was writing about like movies that have sort of a, a deeper meaning that are, have been culturally dismissed over the years. And, and yeah, I, I thought it was great. I really liked this movie and, and I'm glad that it's being embraced in the way that it is now. Like even Karen Kusama is directing like the new Dracula movie. Mm-hmm. Cool. So clearly, like people have come around to the fact that she that this was a good movie, that this is a great horror story, and 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 uh, yeah, I'm really glad glad we're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see this one when it came out. I had seen Juno. I really loved Juno. I was sort of excited to see what Diablo Cody did next. But I think that the reputation of this movie just sort of swooped in before I had a chance to even consider seeing it. And it was just sort of, you know, seen as like a bad movie. And I don't know if it was so much the marketing for me, but it just, it didn't seem like uh, it was going to be a successful endeavor. So I just sort of missed it for that reason. And, you know, I have seen, I think, well, I think there's one Diablo Cody movie I haven't seen, the one that she directed. But she's definitely like one of my favorite screenwriters. So I was really excited to to sort of take a look at this. And yeah, like a big part of that has been the people who have been sort of critically reevaluating it. So that's that's I guess the story. I mean, I think everybody just needs to sort of like take a look at this movie and see see it for themselves because uh nobody was apparently in the right place to actually give it any sort of thought when it came out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and even the reviewers were just reviewing the people in it and not the movie itself it sounds like. Yeah. So Well, yeah. absolutely. We'll definitely get to some of that, but we should first go through the movie bit by bit. So, it starts with Amanda Seyfried. She is playing this character named Needy Leswicky, and she is she is uh, in some sort of mental institution when the movie opens up, and like she seems like she is like a crazy girl. Like everything about the way that she's sort of introduced, <laughs> like yeah, she's in the mental institution, and then we find out that she is a kicker. <laughs> At one point, a orderly asks her about her dietary choices, and she kicks this woman in the face and, like, sends her, like, flying over, and then, like, all these other orderlies have to, like, get her in control. So, I mean, the impression that we've got at this point about this person is that she is not very stable, and, uh, you know, it's kind of scary. Also, that orderly was, like, a Terminator. Because she just looked back up and there was like no blood on her face. She was just like, she kicked me in the face. How dare she? <laughs> it's like, oh my God. She's invincible. But she is going to tell us the sort of story of how she got there. And it does involve her friend, Jennifer. And there's, you know, there's some differences between Needy and Jennifer. Like, Jennifer is very, very, very attractive. And Needy. Is wearing glasses, so 
that's the one thing is that in this in the start when they they first show Amanda Seyfried, I'm like, she looks amazing, and then they're like, here's Needy. She's oh yeah, the, she's the awkward one. I'm like, is she though? <laughs> she just has like her hair pulled back in kind of a, a not even unflattering, just kind of a lazy way. Yeah, yeah, but they do make like a big deal about their friendship and about how their friendship has persisted, you know, despite this difference between them because, you know, sandbox love never dies and they are like good friends she says, but even like before anything like, you know supernatural happens wasn't, sorry, I just want to interrupt, wasn't that the sequel to Phantom of the Opera? Sandbox love never dies <laughs> Oh no, I'm going to leave reminded of love never dies <laughs> just gonna go. Mic drop <laughs> but i mean it doesn't seem like their friendship is all that good first of all like needy will drop everything to sort of attend to jennifer's wishes jennifer seems to like insult her friend all the time and just like like say really mean things to her and they seem to have like a really complicated relationship from the get-go guess he's got the whip until eleven thirty. a 2003 chrysler sebring and it's all mine <laughs> oh hi chip it smells like thai food in here have you guys been fucking oh, you're gross you're gross you're, you're gross. so gross <laughs> fuck you <laughs> let's go to the club Quality lane is not a club it's a bar in fact it's not even a bar it's like a bingo hall with taps eat my ass chip you're just jello because you're not invited yeah, I feel like the high school is really putting a strain on both of them because, like, one's cool and one's not. How could they hang out? Whereas, hopefully, high school is different very, now. It's a very early yeah. 2000s hopefully. setup. Yeah. I don't know what this says about me, like, as a person and my past, but I guess I graduated high school in 2008, and I found their friendship to be very relatable to friendships that I had in <laughs> high school. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean... <laughs> That that might I mean that might not be a good it's thing. It's okay. It's okay. I'm in therapy now. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. great. As long as you're working through it. Cool. Cool. <laughs> Podcasts are the best place to work. Through. Yeah. That's so, what they're for. Uh, <laughs> we wrote an entire podcast. Thanks for being here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and listen to Parkdale Haunt if you want to hear more of Emily's trauma. <laughs> I mean, really, though. Uh, anyway, uh, I I hope that the sort of power dynamic, and especially the the way that sort of uh, Jennifer like pulls her out to that concert in that bar, only to kind of ignore her as her wing person. I was mm. like, oh god, I have been that girl, just like mm. standing there watching my friend go after this guy who sucks, and there's <laughs> just like nothing I can do about it. And I'm just like, why is this my life? Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, they. We've all had friends like that, for sure. <laughs> they do go to this concert. This is the next big uh, set piece. And they want to go see this band called Low Shoulder. In fact, it's really Jennifer that wants to go see him because the lead singer is spicy. <laughs> I have to take some... some uh... Salty. But... Oh, he shit. knows it. Okay. He knows it, too. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was salty, not spicy. Right? <laughs> you're, you're, you're getting your flavors mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> he was umami. And that was, uh... <laughs> uh, well, also like maybe the most early two thousands moment in the movie is when they decide to go see a band based on their MySpace page. <laughs> <laughs> why? Yeah. yeah. And then Adam Brody's the lead singer. 
Yeah. And, and Adam Brody. Yeah. Adam Brody's MySpace page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, but Jennifer, you know, she really wants to meet the guys in the band. And so she goes up and introduces herself to one of the guys in the band. And as soon as she goes to buy him a drink, Needy overhears them talking about her in like a weird way, like talking about her virginity or something like that. And so she marches right up and she's like, Actually, my friend is a virgin, uh, which she's, you can sort of tell she's telling a lie when she uh, says this. But she sort of defends her friend's honor, and they go and watch the concert. And the concert itself, like, like uh, Emily mentioned, there's like all these dynamics happening. Needy is there beside Megan Fox. And they also, they hold hands at, at you know, a moment. So we sort of like wonder, like, what is the sort of like extent of like their relationship? Like, Needy seems to need... Jennifer more than <laughs> Jennifer. Okay. I didn't write it. <laughs> it. It's in the script. I mean, it's there. <laughs> but, I mean, this. then something very inexplicable happens, or maybe not inexplicable. I don't know. There's a fire, and this club burns to the fucking ground. It just burns, and, like... People die like this is like, you know, it's like the the station fire, you know, where like 100 people died. It's very horrifying. And right after that, they go outside like, you know, a few people escape, you know, Lizzie, uh, Needy and Jennifer managed to escape. And immediately after that, the band comes over and they're like, uh, hey, do you want to come in my van? <laughs> yeah, I, not uh, creepy at all. I, 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 no, that has, no, that actually this happened is just a... I was what? at a bar. I was what? at a bar once. You got in a van? I was leaving. I, yeah, a bunch of guys. I was in. I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, me and my friend were leaving a, an incredibly sketchy bar. And a group of dudes were like, "Hey, you want to come with us in our van?" And I was like, "I am. I have sobered up so fast now." Oh man! <laughs> I'm going. No, we're going back to the Holiday Inn. Goodbye. So you 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 didn't oh, get in the I will van. Say, no, actually, no. I haven't. Yeah, I, I, uh, I did not get in the van with the scary, wow. the scary man, which is You're why I'm not part of this movie. This is why You're I'm not a, a succubus or something. <laughs> That's good. No, not as far as I know, anyways. <laughs> I, I, I would like to say, in defense of terrible bands, like most bands. <laughs> have to have vans <laughs> because when you're touring around you need a van it's not inherently yeah. creepy jm like, did you ever remember... invite someone into your band's van well I, i'm not done my story <laughs> and i married uh, her i do remember specifically i do remember playing a show out of town and a girl came up and asked to buy a cd and they were only in the van i said you have to come out to the van wait and, did you uh, say cd here's my van <laughs> it was a cd van <laughs> and so i i i mean and i could tell as soon as i said like you know we'll come out back to the van <laughs> you know i could tell she you know was a little you know understandably but you know i just sold her the cd and it was fine but i'm just saying like it there is this right. association with vans mm -hmm. that they're you know full of creeps and i'm saying you know sometimes you just need them to uh to store equipment <laughs> These guys are bad, though. These, These guys, guys are bad. Are bad. I mean, they're. Yeah. I do feel like I'd be more unsettled if I like was like meeting a band and they're like, "Do you want to come see our tour Honda Civic?" And I feel like, <laughs> "How are you getting around?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you put the drums? Jesus. <laughs> My question was like, is the fire an accident or was it part of the band's plan or what's happening there? Is it just like a coincidence? 
I'm fairly sure yeah. it's part of the band's plan. Yeah, because, like, Adam Brody's character seems pretty chill. He's just like, hey, what's up? He's, like, watching the fire. And then, <laughs> yeah, I would. he's just, he's just like, you know, like, I'm just going to keep playing my okay. terrible indie music <laughs> while this place burns <laughs> to the ground. It could have been more. I would, I would have liked to see him, like, you know, putting, like, a flash pot or something, you know. Uh, you know, I don't know. But Jennifer goes in the van with these creepy uh, emo dudes, despite Needy telling her not to. And she decides to go. So Needy goes back home. She calls her boyfriend, Chip, played by the guy who played young Neil in Scott Pilgrim. And (laughs) also J.K. Simmons' uh, son. Is that who that is? Yeah. What? (laughs) I was like, there's two Simmons in this movie. How funny. No, I'm... I'm like ninety percent sure. I might be okay. scaring us all. Oh. No, no, because he was also in. He was also in uh, the short of Whiplash, right? Uh, with J.K. Oh. Simmons. So I think he's oh. his son. And then they they lost him and put that that jerk in the, in his in his stead for the movie. <laughs> We're gonna need some confirmation of this. Can someone uh, call Maury Povich or something? <laughs> <laughs> call you know, Jerry Springer. I, you know, J.K. Simmons gave me a real Jerry Springer vibe in this movie <laughs> with the hair. It's so weird to see him with hair. What like was he's one with of those the guys. Claw hand. Why claw hand? Well, some I people have amputations and they use a claw. So uh, it was like his weird. only character trait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he also had some bad skin on his neck. I noticed. I was like, "Is that real or makeup? Get that checked out, J.K." And I'm not J.K. about that. Just kidding. Well, that was because the <laughs> cinematographer really hated J.K. Simmons <laughs> and wanted to show all his neck <laughs> You know, I think I'm wrong on that, guys. I think I'm very, very wrong. Okay, I will fact... It's like putting his name- the two Simmons in movies together, apparently, for some reason. Yeah, yeah his I name is Johnny Simmons. Yeah. But are they yeah. not related? Does it not say who his parents are? I looked up J.K. Simmons' son, and it said Joe Simmons, which is very close to Johnny. (laughs) (laughs) But a miss. Look what you started here. I almost, I I just wanted, I I started to hate the kid because, you know, I have that feeling whenever there are, like, children of celebrities who do actors in nepotism. (laughs) Yeah. I've been watching The Boys and that Jack Quaid guy. mm, He's a Quaid. No, I I liked Joe, uh, Joe, John, Johnny. Johnny. Jimmy Simmons, Johnny. I love, I loved, I liked him in this movie. I he, he was, was good. good. Yeah, he he really has that good. Bieber hair going on. He is, so. yeah. he is okay. Big, like my high school boyfriend energy in this movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I loved, I loved his bedroom. It was like every boy's bedroom in in high school. He had like a unicycle in the background, and I was like, Oh, oh yeah, I wanted that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I I was judging him so hard for that. I was like, this twerp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, but so. Needy goes back home, and she's calling her boyfriend, and then she hears something outside, and it's Jennifer, and she comes in, and she is not in a good state. She is all bloodied and freaking out, and she's also, like, acting weird. Like, first, she eats, like, a whole chicken out of the fridge, which we all get hungry, but, uh, you know, he's a fork. <laughs> Though, I mean, you know, I've, yeah, I'm not one to You've speak. Been, but yeah. <laughs> then she gets really weird, and she puts needy up against the wall and gropes her and then starts asking if she's scared i would be i would be too it's very Mm -hmm. it's it's very weird stuff uh and then she goes off 
After like vomiting up an oil oil drum onto the floor. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And we don't see her until the sort of next day at school. And then, of course, with school, everything is all messed up because of all the people dying. Like a whole bunch of people died and they're in mourning and everybody is coming together and people are sad and crying, including like there's this one kid who is like the football guy and he's sad and crying in the football field while some heavy death metal plays for some reason. (laughs) And then uh, he has to die. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Megan Fox takes him to to the woods and... and, uh disembowels him it's uh it's, it's horrible yeah yeah i mean she she makes like she's seducing him so i mean that seems good but then yeah devours him so devours also him. Like, what did you guys make vi- of like all of the animals coming to watch yeah every time she started to seduce mm. a man every animal in the area would come and stare at them animals you know love what? that i, 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 <laughs> I, I thought it made it cooler every time like, i was what? like hell Speaking yeah animal friends rough. <laughs> uh, no, but I I kind of thought that was kind of like this weird, yeah. It was it was very weird. Maybe like a Snow White ish thing, like a preferred Snow White. Like that. When yeah. did that happen in Snow White? <laughs> she, like, when the- she ate the prince's intestines. No, <laughs> right before she disemboweled Sleepy. Yeah, see, they're backing me up, Jam. Why can't you? Jesus, calling into question. No, the birds coming to help. Is that Cinderella? I don't know. It just oh, seems yeah, like it's like a fairy tale, like a fairy tale princess. Thing. Like a like fairy tale princess is what I'm trying to. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Rob. That's not what all, but that's better. It is. It uh, is sort of said. strange. Yeah, you don't really see like animals going around demons <laughs> like they are. You know, peaceful yeah. forest creatures usually. She's like, I'm Doctor Doolittle, and then she disembowels <laughs> him. I thought it was like a weird, like forest creature pagan ritual kind of like communing with nature thing. Mm. But it also like happens like in the abandoned creature. house with rats later on. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. not to skip yeah. ahead. Mm. No, no. Yeah. Well. Anyway, so people- oh, oh, wait, before wait before you carry on, I do have an update on the uh, the J.K. Simmons Johnny Simmons tale debacle. Uh, yeah, debacle. I mean, the, he was also in a movie called The Late Bloomer with J.K. Simmons. Oh, and in an article about that, it does say no relation between. Oh, the two. wait. So this kid has been in three movies with J.K. Yeah. Simmons, and he's not that. his son. Maybe it's like, remember how Arnold Schwarzenegger had that illegitimate <laughs> son that looks exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right. and he was just like hanging around? Maybe it's the same thing where he's like, ah, I got this kid. Uh, he could really use a part. His name is also Simmons, but uh, if we could keep it on the DL. Hi, welcome to J.K. Simmons, the podcast, where we're all J.K. Simmons all the time. Uh, I think he's worthy of a podcast. I think we should all just stop what we're doing and start that. <laughs> In the closer? Come on. Come on. <laughs> he he told Johnny Simmons that he was his father, and he's like, "Really?" And he said, "No, J.K." <laughs> oh. Okay, I'm gonna leave again. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm sorry. But so everybody is really sad about this other guy who died, and a lot of these sort of displays of grief are a little bit like overblown and performative, and like they even have the band who was playing at the place that burned down. They keep playing their song as like this anthem that sort of brings everybody together, and it's really awful, but also very true to life. I think <laughs> it gave me it and, gave me the feeling of like hearing the phrase "how to save a life" in like every single medical show in like the early 2010s. 
Like it was that <laughs> vibe of a song. These guys yeah, would have yeah. been on the soundtrack to Garden State. 100%. Oh my god, they would. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's I mean, they say that they can't get on a soundtrack and that's why they have to, you know, murder do the virgin. whole Robert Johnson sell your soul to Satan or whatever. Robert Johnson did not murder a virgin in the woods. Well, I know, I know. But I mean, like, it's the same result, right? Isn't it? Like, that's what they want. It's like they want to sell their soul. Or not. maybe it's not the selling their soul, but it's still like some sort of pact with the devil for fame. It's a cliche, you know. Mm -hmm. Not usually for emo bands, but, uh, you know. They're always trying to act tough, so, you know. Dashboard Confessional did that. That's, That's why they got so big. But... I mean, Jennifer is not sad at all this. about the people dying. She seems pretty oblivious about all these people dying. And also, she feels, like, really great. She feels like, I don't know, like she, she's Megan Fox or something, you know, just, like, owning the world. <laughs> Though I, I, Now that I've said it, I realize that is not correct. But... Um, <laughs> But, I mean, you know, she she feels young and vital, and she has all this energy, but then the energy sort of starts to fade, and she starts to look like, you know, a little bit haggard, and I guess you can see her hairs, and... <laughs> Critics hate it. She goes from, um, like, a... She goes from, a like, a 10 to, like, a 9.8. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, exactly. disgusting, you know, as a male... I'm, uh, <laughs> Thank God they don't put a pair of glasses on her. No. <laughs> so, uh, Can oh you God. imagine? <laughs> yeah. And they're sort of getting ready for the school dance, but all these people keep dying. There's another kid who dies, the sort of goth kid. He asks out Megan Fox, and then, you know... She surprisingly says yes, you know, which is surprising because you can see this kid's underwear over his like jeans. It's, it's you know, fashion was sad. Kids those uh, days, yeah. <laughs> I'm old. I mostly just kept looking at all like the the chains and belts. And, yeah, uh, I was I was like that was a, I'm like I remember doing this in high school. I was like a gross punk kid in like the early two thousands. <laughs> In small nice. town, northern Ontario. Oh no! I feel like <laughs> I feel this. I feel like it's really interesting just to note that she was go- like Jennifer was going to say no until Needy was like he's actually a cool guy, and then she chose to change her answer and go out with him and then murder him. Forget it. That was random. I'm used to boys asking me out, Needy. Colin's really nice. He's into maggot rock. He wears nail polish. My dick is bigger than his. Well, I think he's really cool. You do? Yeah. Wait. Colin. I think it, like, sort of has to do with their dynamics of, like, the sort of jealousy, etc. No, well, sure. yeah, that's that's the thing I love about this movie is that yeah, it's it's all kind of fed by these kind of sexual anxieties around like that central relationship because like the easy version of this movie would be if uh, if the Megan Fox character of Jennifer went after like the guys that did this yeah. to her. Like, they still get their comeuppance in the end, uh, not to jump ahead, but, like, you know, that would be the simple version. But, like you said, it's always – she's, like, punishing all the guys that, like, Needy has an attachment to, mm-hmm. like, yeah. ultimately cu- culminating in J.K. Simmons' song. <laughs> <laughs> Heard it here first. We just got the results. Yeah, all yeah, of her decision-making right. around who she decides to feed from has to do with Needy. 
Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's sort of, yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing where I can never really totally tell if it's because she is sort of taking it out on needy or if she is looking for that sort of like, um, validation of like, this is someone who needy approves of, which is like another way you could sort of like look at how she picks her victims in I, the movie. I thought that mm-hmm. it was more like she was jealous of needy liking people other than her. So like Ooh, also oh, that, yeah. when it like came to the boyfriend, she was like, she, uh, she was jealous of that relationship, not because she wanted the boy per se, but because it took Needy's attention away from her. For sure. It's, it's inter- I, I don't know. This is a conversation I had with a popular girl in high school. I wasn't very popular. And I, and I uh, talked to her and she was like, Aww. it's so hard. Did you have glasses? She, she didn't have glasses. No, but no, she was like, you. it's so hard being popular because you, you, you need to be more popular like her friends they were all vying to be kind of the popular one which i didn't know anything about and it kind of when when i was watching this movie it kind of seemed like it's that deep need to continue that popularity and to get the support from needy to, to be like i am you know i am better than you so i will take what's yours kind right of thing. it's yeah, kind of it, what it felt like to me in this it's a power I, thing I love all these. There's so many different readings of this one central relationship. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, see, to me, no, I, I didn't see it like that personally, but mm-hmm. I, I love, I love that it's open to different interpretations too. I saw it more as like she in this town, in this role she has in the school, like she isn't able to express her feelings towards needy in the way she would want. Mm. So it kind of, the way it manifests is in these kind of like attacks to like get attention. Like you were saying, like it's a way of inserting herself kind of in, into needy's sexual life, but not in the way that she wants. Yeah. Or like trying to deny her bisexuality or feelings of attraction that she might have for needy by killing men. Yeah. Exactly. What by yeah. women has been there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I I feel like maybe you know in the wrong hands could be like a problematic story to tell. But there's something about like these two characters that you're invested in the whole time. Like Jennifer's not even really the the villain until the very end, or and even then it's like like needy's wants to avenge her like it it feels like a real relationship and the movie kind of builds everything else on top of that one yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah well i mean needy is starting to sort of suspect that something is up and so she goes to the occult section of the uh, school library (laughs) and uh there's an occult yeah yeah well they got (laughs) just like the best line they got a whole bunch of uh they got a whole bunch of occult books from the scholastic book fair when it came through so and luckily, <laughs> it just happens that they got the ones that Needy needs, the one that tells you about the whole succubus thing. It's probably a very popular book, which is why these emo guys got it, too. You know, it's definitely <laughs> high school level <laughs> magic with a K. But this also, uh, it, t- it tells her what happens when the sacrifice happens, right? It just tells her that she gets energy from, like, feeds feeds off of men. Right. And the only way to kill her is when she's weak and you have to go through the heart. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. The night of the big dance. So like this sort of scene where it's like not really clear what's happening. She's trying to say like, it's not really safe for us to be together. And he's like, what, you breaking up with me? 
And she's like, just he can't, we can't go to the dance together. And he's like, huh, what the fuck, man? Yeah, that's a pretty it's realistic aggression that he actually has. I feel like he's, uh, he's again, he's, he's big, he's big, uh, soft high school boy energy. He bought he's, her he's an always, orchid. Yeah. It but cost he's, he's $12. Heartbroken. Yeah. Oh, that, <laughs> yeah. Can I just say that this that movie. That was my month's allowance. I grew up in, I grew up in, uh, in Sudbury and this movie has big, sort of small mid-sized town energy in a way that i again i don't see in a lot of other movies and like even when they were in the bar it just reminded me of being like at the townhouse or at uh there's a bar in sudbury called the beef bird the logo is just the boston (laughs) bruins b and it's like the same kind of bar and i was like oh god but yeah the guy being like i bought you an orchid i was like oh no i went this is like it's 2004 again and i'm going to my boyfriend's (laughs) semi-formal like (laughs) yeah uh, feels real man so she's told him not to go she is going to go so that she can keep an eye on jennifer but uh, he's not supposed to go. But she finds out that he's gone anyway. And she figures out that Jennifer is going to go after him to get to her. And so she runs to find him. And, you know, it's already sort of like almost too late because they're in this like, you know, really creepy pool. And um, yeah, and she's like biting his neck and not in the sexy way. And then Needy comes in, and she's ready to kick ass. This is like, you know, she, like, jumps right in. You know, she basically, like, gives, like, a flying suplex to Jennifer. And they manage to sort of uh, escape. But he, you know, the boyfriend passes away. Poor Chip doesn't make it. R.I.P. Uh, Chip. Bieber hair as limp as the as the dead grass. <laughs> Sad. I actually, I found that death actually affecting and uh, and it yeah. was I found it affecting too. And it was uh, it was only at that point that I stopped calling him Young Neil through the entire movie because <laughs> I could never remember his name and I just kept being like Young Neil no. Um but uh but yeah, I think that that was a it was a well it was a well done death scene in this kind of kind of movie where normally mm. I would be like okay, next. Yeah. Yeah. And they do manage to sort of impale Jennifer with a pool skimmer, but she she's survived and she sort of goes back to her house and there, this is sort of brings us back to a scene that we see earlier in the movie where when we still sort of think that needy is the crazy one where she is like going outside of jennifer's window and peering really creepily but at this point she just fucking jumps through the window <laughs> like i don't know fucking what it's like it's amazing and also like there would be lacerations. She would be. She would be in trouble. I mean, I heard a story about you know uh, the woman who plays C.J. Craig falling through a window. It does not sound nice, you know, for a, Wait, for a person. Alice body. and Janney fell through a window. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Protect Alice and Janney, who played the mom in Juno. Yeah, there you go. She's actually Johnny Simmons' mom. It's, uh... <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, so let's come full circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this is where they have like their big epic confrontation. They sort of fight on um, Megan Fox's bed, and we I, we forgot to talk about the uh, about the big kiss thing. But I guess we'll have to circle back. But they fight and they wrestle. Best friend forever, huh? You killed my fucking boyfriend, you goddamn monster, you dumb bitch! <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <sighs> 
boxes. Do you buy all your murder weapons at Home Depot? God, you butch. And, you know, it seems like it's all going, like, badly but until Needy sort of pulls off her best friend's best friend forever necklace. And that seems to be the fatal blow. It gets her in the heart. And then she stabs her with a box cutter. <laughs> you said that was such delight. The box cutter. <laughs> well, they they also, because they, they try to make like an innuendo too. They're like, what does this cut? And they're like, boxes? That's an innuendo, right? <laughs> yeah, they meant it as an innuendo for yeah. sure. But then like they slashes them in the chest. I don't know. Yeah, not the know. vagina. <laughs> and yeah, and then her friend is dead. And, you know, just as her friend's mom comes in and sees her sort of kneeling over the body. And that sort of brings us full circle to sort of the beginning to where she is in the mental institution, because yeah, she's been obviously, you know, put there because she murdered her friend. But we find out that, uh, you know, she got something, she got something in return when Jennifer bit her, she managed to get some of the secret demon powers. And so she, uh, you know, sort of meditate, floats up, and escapes. And then she gets revenge on Adam Brody and his douchey band. I was waiting all like movie. Waiting for the yeah, rest I of know. Movie. I was yeah. waiting for so long. I was like, when is she going to kill him? They're the people. Go for them. Just do it. She was waiting <laughs> for Lance Henriksen to roll into town. In yeah, his yeah. Sedan. yeah. Oh, my God. I thought... <laughs> oh, man, Lance Henriksen's so creepy in this, but... Very effectively so. Jam was talking about this earlier, but I do think it was a really interesting choice to not have Jennifer go after Low Shoulder and to like save that for the very end because I was also waiting for it. I was like, oh, I, f- I hate these guys so much. And you just hate them more and more. Like they perform at the school <laughs> dance. Like they talk about how they saved everyone yeah. in the fire. Like Ad- this is really an excellent performance for Adam Brody. I wanted to punch him in the face like every scene he was in. Oh, he's just mm-hmm. so greasy. But yeah, it keeps it from being like a clear-cut <laughs> revenge movie. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Uh, yeah, it definitely does complicate things. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We have some behind-the-scenes and some trivia stuff when we return. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to Rewatchability. We're talking about Jennifer's body with Emily and Alex from the Parkdale Haunts podcast. And I don't know if we told you this when you agreed to be on the podcast, but I do have some trivia questions for you. Unprepared. So, yeah, you this better... This is not agreed to in my rider. <laughs> no. Um, Alex, surprise. I'm our agent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am the agent. Or are you the agent? I don't know. My cat's the agent. You guys are going to have to figure that out. Okay, so first question. Diablo Cody has a lot of writing credits. Mm? What movie, which is sort of mentioned in this film, did she have a small part in? 
Oh. Or I should more um, specifically, it's in the same franchise. I should say. Did she? Uh, I have no idea. Did she write oh, something for God. Halloween? Uh, like the remake? Yeah, I was about to say. I was like, "What movies did they mention?" I was like, "I feel like they mentioned Halloween. They mentioned Evil Dead, Rocky Horror Picture yeah, Show." And then, wait, what? Oh, what do you mean God. she had a part um, in? I'm, my, my final answer is The Shining. <laughs> okay. Wait, wait, what do you? <laughs> what do you mean, Rob? You mean she wrote it or she? She acts she in participated. It? Oh. Not yeah, not, not she acts, but she participated. You know. Wait, in a movie that she wrote, or this is a different movie altogether? No, she just is in the it's credits. It's a movie for that she's yeah. credited for writing, and it's sort of mentioned in this movie, or at least a movie in the same franchises. Yeah, I don't know. What, what, what do you got? What is it? Okay, so in the movie, just before yes. the uh, you know the very famous makeout scene. Needy says, "Are you wearing my Evil Dead T-shirt?" Oh, uh, it is and- Evil Dead. Hey. I did, yeah. Let's say I said Evil Dead. Everyone oh, got did, it right. But did, you didn't say that your final answer was The Shining. Alex. You didn't say you didn't say that you knew that she had something to do with Evil Dead, which she did. She did script revisions on the remake of Evil Dead that came out a few years. You ago. You guys should have put it in the form of a question. Oh, okay. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True. Emily is right that I did. I did decide that my final answer was The Shining. <laughs> Valid answer. Valid answer. I mean, it would have been good, but no. Okay, so, I mean, that one was a bit windy, twisty, turny, but I sort of found it interesting. And, you know, she probably got that job, presumably, because of Jennifer's body, despite, you know, the uh, reputation that it had when it came when it came out. So, you know, people out there are definitely recognizing her sort of horror credibility, uh, which I thought was great. I actually really liked the remake. I know that it was controversial, but I'm a fan. Yeah, there you go. Another Diablo Cody masterpiece. <laughs> is she is she credited as the? Re- I I never saw the remake. I I wanted to. She's not credited, okay. but she did do uh, rewrites, do yeah. script revisions. Mm. Yeah, she's. It says she's uncredited on the IMDb, so that's her credit. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've talked a lot about Johnny Simmons' dad, J.K. <laughs> Yeah, by the way, J.K. Simmons' wife is a big listener to this podcast, and she is packing her bags <laughs> as we speak. I have already changed his Wikipedia page. <laughs> but how many Diablo Cody films feature J.K. Simmons? Oh, no. Um, three? I'm going to say four. Oh. Okay. Four. Okay. Jim, do you have an I'm answer? I'm going to say five, just to be different. Okay, Price is Right rules, right? <laughs> Wait, no, that's the opposite of what I should say yeah. then. I'll say one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it's it. three. Yeah, Alex, I think you yes. got that one. Blaine, I think you got that wrong. Oh, and it is wrong. Judo, uh, Jennifer's body, of course, and he, he does have a voice in Young Adult. He sort of comes around whenever Jason Reitman comes around. So uh, he's in basically all of Jason Reitman's movies. And since Jason Reitman produces so many of Diablo Cody's movies... Here he mm-hmm. is. And he's great in this. I actually, I, you know, I thought he was, uh, I thought it was a really interesting turn for him, especially since he was playing like, you know, tough guys like J. Jonah Jameson and Mr. Whiplash. <laughs> and then he was playing like this sort of like ineffectual teacher. I thought it was good. Oh, my God. I, liked it. I, I can't remember for sure. But was the teacher's name Mr. Whiplash in that movie? Because that would be fantastic. <laughs> I believe. I keep so. waiting for the hook to come back. <laughs> yeah, I, I also did like sort of wonder like, did the hook happen during one of the calamities that we saw previously? Was he at the rock show and like maybe a beam <laughs> fell on his hand? I don't know. 
I'd, but, I'd like to imagine that he just showed up one day on set and he's like, I've decided my character has a hook for a hand. <laughs> we, we haven't yeah, really even talked reason. about how eclectic this cast is because there's J.K. Simmons, there's Amy, Amy Sedaris, Sedaris. mom. Uh, there's Chris, Chris Pratt. Pratt as himself. <laughs> oh, pretty much. <laughs> can we can we quickly talk about the line in the movie where she's like, "I have uh, Jennifer's like, I have the police department wrapped around my little finger. I am having sex with a cadet." So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I think that's one of the that's one, that is one of the best Definitely. lines in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are a lot of great cameos and, you know, great casting in this movie. I mean, it does really seem to, because it's sort of a comedy, it sort of has a different sort of leeway than a traditional horror movie would. Like, I don't think you would cast J.K. Simmons the same way or uh, Amy Sedaris if it was like a straight mm-hmm. horror film. Though, maybe, maybe that could be and interesting. And who was the, the kid with the, the goth kid? He was on Veronica Mars, right? With uh, yes, with Amanda Seyfried? Yeah, he played yeah, Beaver. Yeah, Beaver. Right, Beaver. Oh, I knew it was you all along. Oh man! man. Spoilers. Okay. I had the I had the worst recognition of him where I was sitting there and I was like, where do I know him? And I was like, he was on CSI New York, <laughs> and that's where I recognized him from. And I feel permanently embarrassed that I that that was that was my callback for him. That, that is the worst CSI. Uh, <laughs> he he played Gary Sinise's characters dead wife's secret son oh my god a real wow. johnny sounds that's, like, <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> real layer, layers, layers. <laughs> okay i have one more trivia question for you guys so this is a big one the title of this movie comes from a song by a band who has a different song in this movie what is the band Low Holes. shoulder. <laughs> That's uh, correct. Oh, motion steady soundtrack? No. Holes. I've, hole. I've run out of bands. Uh, uh, wait, what'd you say? It's it's whole. It's definitely whole. It's whole. Yeah, it's whole. Yeah, it's whole. Yeah. <laughs> it's based off the whole song, classic whole song, Jennifer's Body, which is not in this movie, but they do have another one there. You can hear Courtney Love's trademark. Yowl at as the uh, credits roll. Oh, we should also mention like there's a terrible cover in this movie of I can see clearly now the rain is gone, which is relevant because Johnny Nash, the writer of that song, died uh, just the other day, and they say that every man dies twice, but I think Johnny Nash died three <laughs> times, like once when his <laughs> song was covered by that crappy punk band. No, oh, what punk band did that? <laughs> I, I, how dare you besmirch the good name of Pop Goes yeah. Punk. <laughs> I love those CDs. <laughs> the al- the album compilations that got us all through 2005. Okay. You know what? Those covers introduced uh, all those songs to a new generation. I'm sure that in the end, more good was done than harm. That That's all my trivia questions. You guys did pretty well. Pretty well. This movie, when it sort of came together... I mean, it was sort of like riding on the Diablo Cody name because she had sort of made such a huge splash with Juno, and didn't she won the Oscar right for her screen? I think so yeah, I should yeah, know yeah. that. So it was yeah. like a huge. There's a lot of expectation for it when it came out. That's the thing that I remember most was just like people were sort of like waiting for her to follow up this thing that has like presented this sort of distinct and new voice. So. 
there was already a lot of hype for it, I remember. And as we sort of talked about, it did not do well at the time. It cost, uh, where is, it cost $60 million to make. And then domestically, it only pulled in Sixty million two hundred and four thousand. Oh no! So it only, yeah, it only made two hundred thousand more wow. than uh, than it cost. Which I mean, that sounds like a profit, but uh, I don't. Apparently, that's not enough in Hollywood. Well, it's also it doesn't so. take into the marketing. No. which they they blasted that movie everywhere. So that must have cost millions of dollars as well. So they probably yeah, like, lost absolutely. A lot of money in this movie. One thing about the 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 writing that I was thinking about when I when I was watching this because I remember I had watched Juno years ago and I was like, okay, like she has a very very distinct style with her writing. And I, yeah, I remember that. I feel like there was so much backlash when this movie came out, not just towards Megan Fox for existing, but also I think just to Diablo Cody for I think just existing. daring to have a very distinct style in her writing mm-hmm. that like. And I mean, like, there there are lots of writers and directors and everyone who have incredibly distinct styles. But I, I do think uh, that there is just this real inherent toxicity around the discussion around her and also Megan Fox of just like, oh, they've made us. She made a second movie. God, don't we all know? Did, like, you know, how dare she make another thing that, you know, clearly proved to be successful before. Let us all shun her now. For this thing and i'm and watching it i was like there are things there are definitely things that did not hold up in the writing but overall i was like it's snappy it it's distinct there's some like legitimately funny stuff in here mm-hmm. like, and and i felt like she even kind of like stepped back from like doing her dialogue like bullet fast and so quirky like A she bit. did kind of step back and i don't i thought it was very very funny i didn't think Going into this, I thought this wasn't a horror comedy, and so I was delighted to find out it was. And I thought it was so much more comedy than horror. And if it had been maybe marketed that way as a comedy, then it might have worked. I don't know. Maybe more people would have seen it. Yeah, I was going to say, I think some of the backlash in the reviewing is that people just didn't know what to make of the genre. They didn't know whether it was a black comedy or a horror, and uh, therefore just kind of concluded that it failed at both. But... I don't know. I think it succeeded at both, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I also think there's yeah. something about, you know, we were talking about how Megan Fox has kind of been like being reevaluated now because we're learning more about how her, you know, her career was kind of torpedoed because she spoke up about, you know, the way she'd been treated and, and Michael Bay and all that. But uh, there's something about her performance that is so kind of low-key amazing in this movie and the way that she's able to take those take some of the more like quippy bantery diablo cody you know witticisms and make them sound like that character would be yeah actually saying them you know what i mean like she has a lot of really funny lines that could sound so forced coming out of another actress. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a Megan Fox fan by any stretch. I can't even think of another Megan Fox movie I've seen other than Transformers, maybe, uh, Transformers which I don't like. But she, there's watching it, especially now watching it like a third time, I really kind of locked into uh, an appreciation of how she makes those jokes work and makes it like it never it never kind of perforates the reality of the movie to make it seem like this kind of 
you know, written bantery thing. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that makes sense. But I, yeah, they did, I just like really appreciated it. I thought they did a really good job too, or specifically Megan Fox in her performance of she's obviously gorgeous. She knows that she's gorgeous, but she still has this fundamental insecurity that you can see peeking through like various times. Like I definitely think about that scene where she's just sitting looking at herself in the mirror, just smearing makeup all over her face. Mm-hmm. Or when she's talking about like how like she has bad skin, she's like the regular girls now. Uh, it it she managed. <laughs> she's she's a person. She's a character who is possessed by a demon, but she still manages to have moments of vulnerability, which I think is not an easy thing to achieve. Yeah, for sure. Totally for sure. Yeah. There's a if you if you ever want a, a great thing on Megan Fox, uh, there's a YouTuber named Lindsay Ellis, and she did a series on explaining film through film theory using only the transformers movies oh wow and it's fascinating and she did one that just looks at megan fox and looking at like gays and stuff like that and she also points out that in the transformers movies michaela is the only character with an arc she's the only one who grows and changes and like is any it has any sort of interesting personality qualities cool. so uh yes highly recommend Lindsay ellis's theories uh, or film theory studies thing entirely it's called the the whole plate and it's only film theory through the lens of the transformers cool, cool. that does sound amazing so, so I, I wanted to talk about a little bit about the critical reevaluation of this movie because there's been a heck of a lot of articles a lot of the articles are just sort of surprised that it's been critically reevaluated so it's like a like a russian stacking doll of like you know critical reevaluation hey people have said this movie's good hey people have said this movie's good <laughs> but i mean there are some things about this movie that those sort of critical evaluations didn't seem to deal with or seem to like glaze over like for example like this movie is you know it's been re-embraced by like an lgbt crowd but at the same time it's a movie where there's a lot of like casual homophobic slurs sort of like tossed around by the main characters, by other characters. And, you know, I sort of wondered, like, is this a movie that sort of undoes itself with that? Or like, what's happening when when these characters are, you know, using that language, but also like, this is, you know, contended to be like a, a queer positive film? Well, it, I mean, it seems to me from what we've been talking about and the, and the relationship at the center that that's kind of where the, the positivity is coming from. And, uh, and that relationship has having to contend with the, this, the state and the culture in which it is in and which the story takes place, right? So I, I could see that it's like it could be embraced by someone being like, "Well, this is a this is clearly like a queer story," and then at the same time be like sh- like eschewed by someone being like, "Well, there's a lot of homophobia in it too." Yeah, so it does kind and of play I mean, both like, sides. Yeah. So I would say that first of all, like, there's not a lot of queer representation in horror. Just yeah. Full stop. So I understand why people would sort of look at this and and be like, at least there is representation. I think another thing is when there is queer representation, often it's um, the person is coded evil because they're queer. Right. So if we look at like, I don't know, like a like a Norman Bates character, like he's sort of coded as being homosexual, gay kind of in his mannerisms, etc. But like, he's also crazy. He's insane. Mm-hmm. For Jennifer's character, it's more so that she's been made evil by men and by pursuing men and her sort of 
bisexuality is not the thing that made her crazy or evil. It was actually a mediocre indie band that made her that way. Mm -hmm. So I think that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I I wondered about that as well because, I mean, the in like older horror movies, in like uh, the way that we would sort of look at them, the queerness is sort of, like you said, sort of equated with monstrosity. And sort of in this movie... One way that you could read it is that Jennifer doesn't exhibit any sort of like queerness or anything like that until after she becomes a monster. And that's where it starts to sort of ramp up. And like at the beginning, like she's a person who is, you know, very like confident in her sexuality and who like uses her sexuality as a powerful thing. And so that sort of continues on. But like the the queer aspect really only seems to pop into her character like once she sort of turns into this other thing. W- 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 though it may be like sort of latently in the relationship between Needy, probably particularly with Needy and Jennifer. Or like, you know, it's also part of like, you know, maybe the tension of platonic female friendships. But... I, I don't know. Like, what do you guys think about that? Like, do you, do you think that holds any water? Well, I think also the the two love scenes, I think, are really key in this movie. Because you guys were talking about how the movie's not very scary. I would argue that the scariest scene is the heterosexual sex scene between <laughs> uh, young Neil and uh, Amanda Seyfried. Because, like, it's awkward and uncomfortable. And then she literally starts seeing, like, corpses, yeah. <laughs> you know, ghosts in the yeah. room. And then that's like immediately followed up by the uh, scene between Jennifer and Needy where they kiss and it's very tender and it's very sensitively filmed and, and sexual and, uh, and even romantic. And so I think like the contrast between those is does like, it doesn't even just like tell me that it makes me feel that, that like these characters uh, are expressing something that's more true to them than what they've been living. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah and I think that if I want to sort of put sort of like a, a positive I guess like my own sort of positive read on it because yeah I mean like she uh, she obviously sort of knows that she's beautiful and knows that she can sort of use this use her looks to her advantage like that and but I also think it speaks to like you know when you're you're young and you're a teenager especially if you're a teenage girl you have so little power you have so little ability to sort of do anything and you know sometimes you just kind of want to wield that wield whatever you can in the only way that you know how to i guess and i guess for her and like living in this tiny town like you know she just all i mean like you know she's using it because she wants to go hang out with a band like it's not like she's you know they're using it for evil or something she wants to go hang out with a band like i too was a teenager i also wanted to hang out with bands but i think the when you know sort of you were mentioning about how sort of her the her bisexuality sort of comes up more to like after she's turned i would sort of say that like she becomes, a, I guess, a, technically, a, she's she's a succubus at this point, but she also has power now, and she knows it. And I think that she's less afraid to use mm. it, and less afraid to be herself, and less afraid to sort of make those moves in a way that, like previously, when you know that you're constantly sort of walking this tightrope of like being shunned or being turned away or like losing what little you have. Now she's like, well, I can jump out a window if I want to, if this, like, you know, if this goes wrong. So, like, whatever, man. Right. Interesting. So, so just going back sort of to how I was talking about how their relationship reminded me of relationships that I had in high school. Uh, I think it's a part of it that I, that I saw myself in is that there, 
their intimacy is so intense and so confusing that you can kind of read yourself into it as questioning your own queerness, especially in terms of like those kinds of relationships where it's like when you were a kid, you shared a bed. Now that you're a teenager, you're still sharing a bed and you're still cuddling and maybe you're touching each other. But does that mean that you're queer? Does that mean that you want to be together? Or does that just mean that you're very close? And it's kind of that negotiation that you see between them and feels very, very real to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting that they're like so close, I guess, because she got bit too but so close that they can almost feel what each other feels so like it's it's becoming yeah, a very that's like even yeah that's even before that they already seem supernatural yeah at the beginning like there's a there's a supernatural intimacy there to to begin with that confuses the the I, uh, all the issues so i almost wonder what the movie would be if it didn't have this supernatural aspect because it already seems like it's going somewhere dark from the beginning with their friendship because it's not like they're friends but it's like a toxic friendship there's like a lot of like weird power stuff going on between jennifer and uh you know and needy is just needy you know so she puts up with everything and she doesn't seem to be able to recognize when her friend is abusing her or bullying her but you know i think that's a really interesting thing to play in a horror movie and a interesting relationship to explore but it also feels like Jennifer needs needy as, as well. Like as much as she is like going off with a band in a, in a in a van or whatever. Like those are the moments where she feels where she seems and sees most vulnerable when she's not with needy. So it feels like they they can't almost be together, but they can't be apart either. And I I just think it's a really wonderful relationship at the center of this movie and and really carried the the whole movie for me. Yeah, it's absolutely a toxic relationship, but it's still so intensely intimate and real. Yeah. Yeah. And some relationships are toxic, you know, and some friendships are toxic, Blaine. Okay, Rob, geez. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we should wrap it up. Let's go around and say what we thought about it this time around. Emily, let's start with you. What did you think on your most recent rewatch of Jennifer's Body? On my most recent rewatch of Jennifer's Body, I think this time I was a lot more... I'd kind of gotten over the flashy succubus killing men aspect of it so i was able to see kind of more of the details and this time when i watched it i was like this is just a really great high school movie this is a very real hilarious high school movie it was very spot on for me as i said i i graduated high school in 2008 so everything from the aesthetics of wearing like uh, a denim mini skirt (laughs) with like a puffer jacket i was like oh yeah Uh uh-huh i remember that (laughs) and it just (laughs) it's probably weirdly the closest to my high school experience I've seen on film besides Mean Girls. Wow. Mm. So that's that's what stuck with me this viewing. Cool. Wow, it seems like you had a bad high school experience. (laughs) It it wasn't great, no. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck high school. Okay, Alex, what about you? Uh, yeah, I had never seen it before, and I'm I, in a in like in a weird way. Like, I feel like I both am kind of glad that I hadn't seen it before because I know that 2009 me would have been much harder on this movie, um, and much less much uh, much more critical. But I also think that I kind of wish I had seen it back then because, yeah, like Emily said, there is a lot of things that kind of remind me of my own high school experience. And I think it was just it was just really fun, and I I really I enjoyed it. I think more than I thought I would. And I'm glad I'm glad to have watched nice. it. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm with you, Alex. Like I really I enjoyed watching this. I I enjoyed the screeching weasel cover. 
of uh, <laughs> uh but uh, yeah i i enjoyed hearing all those old punk bands and the story it was a surprising story i thought it was just going to be a pretty simple revenge story and it turned into something really more complex and something that we've talked like an hour and 15 minutes about because the that central relationship is so complex and is so we do that for every movie story <laughs> We did that for Conan's <laughs> uh, bar of excellence. <laughs> we had to reach for Conehead. We didn't have to reach for this one. It's it, it's a it's a mo- way more of a complex movie than I thought it was, and uh, and I'm I'm glad I watched it, and I will watch it again in in a couple years time on Halloween for sure. Uh, what about you, Jam? I really really like this movie. I like I said, I watched it for work. Like. A few months ago, it was during the pandemic. I don't know; it all blurs <laughs> together, but not that long ago. So I was kind of like, "Ah, it's been long enough that I should probably watch it again for the podcast." But it's it's so recent that I I didn't feel like watching it. And once I was watching it, it is just such an entertaining movie. Like even even before we start unpacking all this, like it's just funny and it just moves well. And I love that tone where it is is genuinely humorous but then also like not only the horror stuff which actually has some you know grisly images but even just like the stakes being so real like there are some some deaths of uh of great import that uh that aren't glossed over or don't feel uh you know superficial i i yeah so i i I just think it's it's a really great movie i I will definitely watch it again. Okay. I think I must be the odd person out because I didn't love the movie. And, you know, I watched it. I read the uh, critical reassessments. I rewatched it. And something about it just doesn't hit for me. I think that it sometimes doesn't find the right place in the tone. Like, there are a bunch of things that I know are supposed to be funny, but just don't feel funny to me. Like, when the dad finds out that his son is dying and he's like... She ate off his face like a door knocker or something like that, and it just—I don't know—it didn't—it uh, didn't do it for me, and it, it felt like really sort of tonally, sort of everywhere. Like I know that, really, yeah, I know that Diablo Cody is like critiquing things, and there's a lot that like I think is really interesting to think about in there. But um, you know, I had to do a lot of reading to enjoy it, so I don't know whether or not. I don't know whether or not that makes it a good film for me, but I I think there's definitely a lot in it. I love that it explores like a really interesting relationship. I think all of the performances are really good. Amanda Seyfried and uh, Megan Fox are both great, and and poor young Neil, he was also just uh, yeah. But uh, I don't know if I'll watch it again. I don't know. It just didn't really do it for me. But I consider it sort of like um. You know, I, some of my favorites, all my favorite artists are like artists who sort of make ambitious movies and don't quite make it all the time. Um, for this one, for me, this movie doesn't quite, you know, do what I think the artists were trying to do. But um, I still think it's a really interesting film. And that's rewatchable. Oh, man. I, I, okay. You guys can I just, want to say before. Right. <laughs> this is just like the debate. Okay. Don't interrupt oh, no, just... me. <laughs> just one thing i wanted to say really quickly is that there is kind of this re-emergence of looking at it as a feminist film i i worry that that does put too much pressure on this movie yeah because at the end of the day it is just a campy fun horror movie and there's there's a lot that's interesting about it there's a lot that you can read into it um unpack from it but at the end of the day it just it's just campy yeah for sure yeah and that's okay uh i i want to say this is 
I, I just wanted to point out something that I read that I forgot to mention earlier, which is when they were talking about the marketing, uh, it's not just that we found it uh, bad. Also, Diablo Cody and Karen Kasama yeah. were really upset about it. And <laughs> uh, I mean, this is kind of funny. What, well, this part's no. not funny, but one of the ideas the studio had to promote the movie was to host an amateur porn site to promote oh the movie. Oh, my God. I don't know how wow. that ties into this movie at all. And then when they got the poster for the movie and the tagline was, she's got a taste for bad boys, <laughs> oh. it said Karen Kusama and Diablo Cody emailed the studio asking them to kind of explain themselves. And Diablo Cody said the email they got back wasn't even grammatically correct. It just said... Jennifer, sexy. She steal your boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. As if a caveman had written. What? The, the marketing well, I don't think was that we should impugn the cavemen. The, the marketing was done by like a yeah. copy paste and... or whatever. It's awful. Right. Oh my god. There's like I feel like oh just that just broke my brain. I mean, it's it does seem really bad, but I also think, and you know, I don't want to like. This movie does play with Megan Fox being a particularly attractive person. And it's like, in a way, like subverting a lot of the things that she was sort of like forced to do. So it's like, it's not surprising that like the marketing focuses on her being attractive. But I think like, it should have been like subversive. I can see wanting to draw in using that thing because that is like kind of what the movie does in a way. But. Yeah, not like that. Uh, it's unfortunate. Well, yeah, I think the thing is that like it's not it's not like she is she is beautiful. She's gorgeous. and that's a choice that the movie. they made. That's a, that is a big part of it, and it, it's perfectly fine for her to be beautiful. I think the main problem is that they marketed this movie to like seventeen to thirty two year old men, being like, "Hey, you want to go watch some sexy ladies?" And I'm like, "You should have just marketed it to women. Yeah. That would have." That would have made a huge difference. And then they just played up the fact that they're like sexy ladies. Here we go. <laughs> and then the only the only real sex scene we actually get is that incredibly awkward one. I thought that was a kind of sweet. Needy and her boyfriend. I thought it was. I thought sweet. it was sweet too, but it's not like I thought it's very sweet, but it's not like you know. <laughs> no, I know. That's not, I mean, that didn't turn me yeah, on. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's not tiddly. But it was very like you know, yeah, that's just what sex felt of- like. I mean, that's at least what sex felt like for me in high school is a very like you know uh, uh, we're we're having sex now (laughs) (laughs) we're having fun right yeah it's a lot of like awkward smiles and like boy this is this is good right yeah i i mean i like that because it was a very yeah realistic but you know at least she was checking this movie does so much it's it's a very rich film i would say you know no matter where you sort of come down there's definitely a lot to sort of dig into as we've proved you know, in this hour. So, Emily and Alex, where can people find your podcast? Yeah, it's Parkdale Haunt. We're, uh, we're on the Frequency Podcast Network, wherever fine podcasts are found. And be sure to check it out, especially if you like uh, complicated relationships between women, which is uh, <laughs> the, sort of the main focus of the I hope podcast. they're not as complicated as of, this uh, movie's relationships between women. <laughs> uh, it gets I mean, there's, there's close. Okay, there's all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't wait to check it out. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thanks so much. And yeah, we're on social media, too. Yeah, thanks for Parkdale having us. Cool. And we're Rewatchability. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify. And we're on the social media as well on Facebook slash Rewatchability. You can at Rewatchability us on Twitter. Um, go to Patreon if you want to become a Patreon and get those uh, bonus episodes. And also go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. And I think that's all of the stuff. So, uh, 
until that's those are all the things you can do on the that's, internet. Yeah. That's all of them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or go to Jennifer Body's Jennifer's Body Hammer Porn Site. Is that what it was? <laughs> Jesus Christ. No. <laughs> yeah, whose idea yeah. was that? Don't 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 do, don't that. do it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 